Hello, and welcome to another episode of Body Liberation for All. I'm your host and decolonized wellness and body image coach, Dahlia Kinsey. I help queer folks of color heal their struggles with shame, self-acceptance, through nutrition and self-care, so they can live the most fierce, liberated, and joyful version of their lives. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Body Liberation for All. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's very personal, and a lot of the themes I talk about today, I was initially reluctant to discuss, but when I came across someone with a shared experience in the same area, I felt so much safer and comfortable discussing it. Now, when I listened back, I felt a little less safe and comfortable, but I still felt like everything we discussed needed to be said. And finding the courage to say what I need to say, to say what needs to be said, is one of my major focuses in life. And this year in particular, as I'm approaching the official release date of my book, in which I discuss a lot of things that I initially was reluctant to be totally honest about because of previous drama and trauma around being punished for being totally honest. Feeling free, feeling grounded, feeling aligned, these are all core values for me, core needs. And using my voice to advocate for others and myself is a key part of my journey. So even though I frequently get in my own way when it comes to speaking freely, I am leaning into feeling the fear and doing it anyway. There sometimes are consequences for being totally yourself, totally honest, and transparent about how you feel about things. But I'm at a point where it's more important to me to be free to speak my mind than it is to be quiet, to stifle myself, and to gain approval through that. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. If this experience of religious trauma with this particular religious sect or any other is familiar and you resonate with this episode and you benefit from it in any way, please share it with me and today's guest because I know we both could really use the reinforcement, knowing that it made a difference to someone to vocalize these things that we've kept in for so long. I didn't want to put any spoilers out there. Today's guest is Goddess from the Sunseed Collective. Be sure to check out the show notes so you can connect with their work on a deeper level. All right, let's get right into it. Yeah, they might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey. 
smile on them live your life just how you like it it's your party negativity is not invited for my queer folk my trans people of color let your voice be heard look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first you were born to win head up high with confidence this show is for everyone so i thank you for tuning in let's go Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Body Liberation for All. Today, I have a special guest on the show. Goddess has a ton of work out there around healing and healing from a perspective that is nurturing for queer folks and for people of color. I'm so glad that they were able to join us today. Recently on Facebook, I discovered that we are cult buddies. I don't know if cult buddies is an official term, but I think we can make it a thing. So I saw someone else was suffering from some kind of religious trauma, which unfortunately is really, really common in the queer community and especially in queer communities of color. And they posted something about trauma around the JW experience. And if you don't know what that stands for, good for you. Um, stick around and you'll get to hear all about our shared trauma. So, Goddess, before we realized we were cult buddies, we had a lot of other things we wanted to talk about on the show and like how you connect to intuition and how you allow like body awareness and eating to really ground you and connect you to spirit. I want to know how in the world were you able to get to the point that you can lean into that and understand that when our background was so rigid and so fundamentalist Christian slash culty that anything that was related to intuition or ancestral wisdom was, you know, demonic. So how did you get to the point where you were able to accept that, you know, this was safe to do? And that it's actually a beautiful part of your lineage as a person of African descent. Okay, so my initial response to that, and I say this a lot when people ask me this question, is that I was super horny. (laughs) I was 13 and developing friendships outside of the cult, which is not supposed to happen. Yeah, um, not allowed. Yeah. yeah, it's not like, it's not allowed. You are not supposed to, like, outside of school, you should not be hanging. Well, they say you should not be hanging with anyone outside of being Jehovah's Witness. And I had a boyfriend at the time, and I just was so in love. And I was like, you know what? I'm questioning all these things anyway. This doesn't make sense. Why am I, like, told I can't? love who I want to love and also honestly even more than that like that was a that was a huge catalyst but also seeing the amount of abuse my mother was taking and be and also my family was taking because she was a black single woman in a white supremacist cult the nerves the, the nerve existing. The nerve. Yeah. So the abuse was like, why are we be, why are, why do we allow ourselves to be so miserable? And now I understand that it's brainwashing. But at the time I was just so angry and rebellious and thank goodness for it. 
You know, teenagers are horrifying to me because they are so clear sometimes on what is right for them. And they don't, they're not in the business of pulling a whole lot of punches, right? But there's also something so beautiful about leaning into that clarity and not letting some adult tell you, oh, no, you don't know what you know. You didn't see what you thought you saw. You've misinterpreted all of this. Because uh, God said it was totally fine to give women a hard time for everything, yeah. like literally everything. Uh, I think it, it's just crazy. We were talking before the call. This has taken so many years for me to unpack. I was, I think, first disfellowshipped. I don't know. It's probably been at least 20 years. I'm getting all every year. I'm shocked at how, how old I really am. <laughs> But it's been years. I would say it took me at least 10 years, though, to start to feel like I knew how to operate in the world as a regular person, as a person who didn't have all the social ties from the cult. Because that's one thing I think people don't understand. Another reason why it's so hard for people to leave is because you're told you shouldn't have relationships outside of the religion. You don't have anyone if you decide to leave. You don't have anyone if you know, you go into puberty and you decide that celibacy is for the birds. You don't have anyone when you're kicked out. And you think that these relationships you have are so strong because part of the rules, basically, it's that we should look as though we're united no matter what. If we disagree on things, we shouldn't discuss those things. So there are a lot of things that are discouraged and you're not supposed to participate in because it usually brings up a lot of differences that people have. So like you don't participate in politics at all. And of course they have other reasons that explain why they don't do that. But I really think in reality, it's much easier to control people when they're under this illusion that, you know, everything's fine and we agree on everything. We're all having the same experience. Mm -hmm. But the amount of anti-Blackness that I saw growing up that way, the amount of distress that I've seen other people experience from just the homophobia, the sexism. There's a lot of issues with just people not understanding the importance of consent. And then there are also being a ton of predators that are in that organization as well, whose behaviors are being allowed. And I don't think that everybody even believes that the behaviors are that bad. I think there are more people probably in my hometown right now thinking that I'm doomed and I'm a really, really bad person because I'm openly queer. But someone who has molested children, if they claim they've repented, they're fine and you don't need to keep an eye on them. Mm -hmm. Because male sexuality, you know, is the same bias that we see in society in general. It's like magnified in these very patriarchal controlling organizations slash cults. Yeah, like the, what we're, so <laughs> when we say the world, we're talking about anything that's outside of being a Jehovah's Witness. So there's like language that we have within like the cult that like not everyone might understand. So like in the world, like the world is not like people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but being a Jehovah's Witness is like, like a microcosm of white supremacy. And it's like, like you were saying, like magnified. The entire religion 
was built off of a white man's imagination of what God was and is and how it should be fulfilled. And so I don't think Black folks or any BIPOC folks were really welcome in until later on, probably. And they were kind of seen as like, oh, and you. And you, if you stick to these specific like frameworks in which we want you to be in, which is very white. Someone said it's um corporate. Jehovah's Witness is very corporate. It, it, it actually is. It's so crazy because one of the things that's come up a lot for me lately is people keep telling me that they like my presenting style or they are kind of just smitten with my comfort with public speaking. But because of how corporate that cult is and how structured the training is, I have got to say so much of that comes from that. Like they literally train you from very, very small to be comfortable with public speaking. You have to give little talks on the platform as a kid. If you're a woman, though, you don't get to give lectures per se. You get to do demonstrations. There's always... It's always a difference in what you can do based on your gender. And according to them, of course, there are only two of those. And, but still, I will say I have done so much public speaking since childhood. I was, my failures fully in. Even now, I sometimes experience some anxiety around speaking about it openly, but I am tired of feeling like I'm the only one who has to suppress my beliefs and my feelings. And that is a common theme. Like you said, it's a microcosm of what we see in like broader dominant society where people are so controlling and believe that white whiteness is the default and is the golden standard. Mm-hmm. You, if you deviate from that at all, if you're not cis white head, if you are not... Yes, actually, if you're not that mythic norm, then you should play down those things and try to assimilate as much as possible. And that's the only way to be acceptable. So they do acknowledge that some people experience same sex attraction, but it's considered a defect and it's something that you need to play down, you need to fight, you should not talk about. So I think there are probably a lot of people that already got queer vibes off of me growing up, but it was okay as long as they didn't talk about it. Right. What does that cost me psychologically to think that I don't have permission to be myself and I don't have permission to speak about the things that are important to me and what I think is valuable? I love spending time with queer people. I love spending time with especially queer folks of color. There are things that I get from being in community with us that I can't get anyplace else. What am I sacrificing if I'm staying in a cult that doesn't allow me to be myself and cuts me off from having community with people who want me to be myself? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that idea of like staying silent or not looking at the things that are very much a part of you because they are defects, it creates this like roboticism in your brain of like, 
of ignoring your truth, ignoring your truth. Like I remember being very young and looking at my mom's bra catalogs and deciding who I want to marry. Now I can like question that decision based off of like, I don't know, bra. <laughs> but like, and it didn't, but I didn't, it didn't click for me that I was queer until I was 18. And that was a deep struggle. And so like, how many times did I have to ignore, you know, that part of me and such a big part of me and not see it? And how many times was that affirmed, that ignoring affirmed and taught to me by my family and by like older people and elders that were supposed to love me? But conditionally. But conditionally. And the yeah, it, it is. It's so conditional. And I think it hits so hard that it's conditional when you experience excommunication. So they still do that and they, they're very good at it. <laughs> so the story is that by completely cutting people off when they leave the church or they do something that the church doesn't approve of, you putting them under that psychological distress of losing their entire support system in a day is supposed to help them, help bring them back to, you know, righteousness, essentially. Mm. But what it really is, is you are raised in a community and you're told everybody agrees on everything. There's all this harmony. There's all this unity. And then you leave the little counseling tribunal thing and you walk out and you don't know anyone that will speak to you. You don't exist. People who you grew up with will see you on the street and turn away. They're supposed to like just walk away, not greet you, not acknowledge you, not make eye contact with you. It's so interesting the damage that that facade of everybody agreeing on everything did to my concept of what is a good friendship, what is a good relationship as well. Because there was never any complexity to these relationships because anything where you might have a difference of opinion, you would not discuss it. Mm -hmm. So then out in the world with normal people where people don't agree on everything and that's okay, at least used to be okay. (laughs) In a lot of ways now, like that belief that everyone in your life should be part of this echo chamber that is more part of how technology has evolved and allowed us to create these little bubbles. But the cults were like the old bubbles. These are the, (laughs) this is an analog bubble. bubble. Yeah. (laughs) Versus the bubbles we put ourselves in now voluntarily wanting to spend time with people who agree with us on everything. But it was really hard to form relationships because I'm like, well, who are my people? Mm -hmm. Who am I? I was told that who you were as an individual is not important. It was important for you to learn to follow all these rules that would make you pure or righteous. Mm -hmm. And so many of the defaults in that religion are strictly cultural and centered on whiteness. And people who are in it definitely don't see it. So I've been reprimanded before for wearing natural hair because it looked too worldly. But you can have natural hair that's straight and blonde and that's neutral. Well, if you're making whiteness neutral, we've got a problem there. Mm -hmm. 
Like that, that's white supremacy. It goes straight to the default. It is the default. Absolutely. Mm. And what is the damage? I heard this song. I think it was like a Rastafarian song. And it felt kind of extreme, but it's very catchy. So I have listened to it many times. But the refrain is it in it is, I have no white God. Don't teach me anything wrong. How could a white God save me from white man's oppression? And it's a very good question. If your concept of the divine does not connect to you in any way, what is that doing to you? Mm -hmm. And if your concept of the divine really supports the idea that the dominant culture is in that position because they should be, because they are more godlike than you. Again, what is that? And we all struggle with internalized racism and internalized homophobia because we're surrounded by it. But what happens when your religious belief system also reinforces these things? Mm-hmm. That's uh, that also is meant to like provide you um, like safety and shelter from oppression. Mm, yeah. Like it's it's really hard because I do know that Western religion is very important to a lot of Black communities. It's been a gathering place. It's been a resource um, for liberation. It's also been it's also been kind of we put some steak on it. We put some spice into it. <laughs> I um, do feel like the old religions have been meshed with the colonizers' right. beliefs. But it's been... Be- and I think a lot of that we have to question, well, like, why did we go into these religious practices? Like, were we trying to secretly perform our own religious practices? And then... Cause, because that's happened in many cultures right. where colonizers, a.k.a white folks usually came in I shouldn't say usually but in the ones that I've heard came in and the indigenous people there had to hide their own spiritual practices and so they would hide their idols within a white idol and then eventually people just forgot and started worshiping you know and like looking to that so it's I forgot who it was. Oh, it was a friend. And they were also the one that told me that I was a slave to the white dick, which is definitely, definitely linked in with. uh, Is that a, is that still a friend? Was that like an aha moment or was it? It was was like a moment where like a friend tells you something and you don't want to believe it. And so you ignore it. Oh man. I mean, okay. That, that phrase is so distracting there were other threads that I wanted to pull but I I've got to know what was that so that about we were talking we were talking about relationships it was in college and they were like it was another black queer person and they were basically telling me like you are so wrapped up and like how I interpret it was like you were so wrapped up in wanting to be wanted by white people specifically white dudes when it came to romance at that time that like it's enslaving you and it upset me the way they said well how they made me think that that's rough 
But but what what it did, and you spoke to this earlier, was that it put into my head this idea of being really attracted to and wanting to put all of my power, usurping my power into someone else. I'm like questioning that. And that is exactly what this cult did. Like you do not think for yourself. There is, and when you are need to be held accountable, it's not you being held accountable. It's like you go to the religion. Like when I talk to my family about like, okay, why, why is it hard for you to accept, you know, my pronouns and use them? It's like, oh, well, God doesn't like see it this way and this and that and the other. So they are not being held accountable for their decision to believe that is so. And so I like all of our autonomy. And it's a really good way to escape things. It's a really good way to not talk about racism within, you know, your your relationship dynamic. It's a really good way to do that. And we can get to that later. I did, but like the original thing was that the same friend like asked me that question of like, what were our spiritual practices before Christianity, before all these, like these like dominant religions, like what were our spiritual practices? And I was like, wow, it blew my mind because I was like, I was thinking that the only valid way of connecting spiritually was created after colonization and it wasn't like a like a thought that like was a solid thought but it was um what is it called it's like it's not tangible you know it's in the ether and it's like oh yeah you learned the lesson you learned the lesson that you were taught this is what you're taught everywhere i i've heard so many people even now talk about how People should be so thankful if they are in a nation that was colonized because they're like, look at how all these other people are living. That assumption that still whiteness is so superior to all other things, that you should be grateful that we came in and took your resources and raped your children and raped you and just, you should be so thankful because now you have access to what we consider the gold standard, which is this Western super capitalistic way of operating. There's more than one way to do life and plenty of indigenous people were doing life in a way that felt right to them. Mm-hmm. That assumption that only your culture has got it right, that is nonsense. Yeah. And I know that, you know, Japan got real out of control with colonization as well. So it wasn't just maybe European descent, but that is the experience that I have most been affected by. And that is what most of the planet has been affected by as well. So I think it's pretty safe to say like, y'all know who we're talking about. And it's so, it's so complicated at the same time because, you know, almost all Black Americans, we have mixed ancestry. Just the same way that the religions became a mesh of traditional religions and the colonizers' religions. We are a mesh of the colonizers. We're a descendant of enslaved people and the people who perpetrated crimes against humanity. 
Mm-hmm. Like you don't get to choose like this weird blend of both of those things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that always has broken my heart is that there is no home to go to. We can't go home because we are not that anymore. The people mm-hmm. who were kidnapped and brought here, you know, I don't know that they would recognize me. And that makes me really sad. But I feel like the cult magnified that distress. Because not only can I not go back to some country where I would magically belong, have the right accent, speak the language and be part of the majority. Like I literally don't have that option. There's nowhere I can go to experience that. But I also didn't get to experience Black American culture growing up because I was told that was really. So like you said, the Christian church is such a big deal in Black American culture. And I don't know any of it. I don't know any of the song. People talk about praise dancing. I'm like, if I haven't seen it on TV, I don't know what it is. And I feel like a lot of times, especially when I first got out, I would try and like fake it. (laughs) Like little things that you don't know. Like I didn't know the words to the pledge, which is not related to blackness, but I didn't know the words because I wasn't allowed to do it as a child. I didn't even know which hand needed to go where. And you hate to be othered. Like you don't want to talk about your traumatic religious experience with people who probably aren't going to understand. And like, Mm -hmm. it feels like so personal, like, and you don't want to constantly be rehashing that stuff. So you try and pass as a person who was raised outside. Yes. So like at Christmas parties where everybody's singing (laughs) Christmas carols and you're like, I only know the first two words. (laughs) Only now do I feel like every now and then somebody might not pick up on like either Dahlia's memory is really bad or something's different here. Why is she not right, doing stuff? Right. And I feel like I missed out on so much. And then to even add to that feeling of I don't have a people, I have nowhere to go. We were told over and over again, these are your people. I remember specifically a presiding overseer saying to someone, he asked a group of kids, like it was a Lebanese kid, uh, Italian-American kid, me, Afro-Caribbean kid. You know, what are you? Well, that's a strange question. But me being from the South, the only time anyone asked that is they want to know what is your ethnic background? It sounds very rude because it is rude. But that's how he phrased it. But it was a trick question. We were supposed to say, I was Jehovah's Witness. But when somebody was like, well, I'm Lebanese and I'm like, well, I'm black. I mean, no, you're not. You're Jehovah's Witness. That identity should supersede all other identities. The other ones don't matter. We're your people. Okay, great. Okay, you're my people. But then the minute I decide to express normal human sexuality because, hello, like I'm a human Mm. and I don't have any people. So I don't know anything about black American culture. Didn't get to experience it. I got reprimanded once for listening to, you know, wild, whirly rap music by Will Smith. And if anybody remembers how outrageously wholesome and whitewashed his rap was, you understand how super ridiculous that is. That's how intense the anti-Blackness was, that listening to Will Smith was too worldly. It was too ethnic. It's like the layers of me constantly being... I know. Oh my goodness. So obviously I don't know anything about, I've tried to catch up, but every now and then I just, I just, I feel like it can't be done. Yeah. And it's also hard to talk about 
it outside of people who have experienced it. Because one, it's like that, oh, you were, you were in a cult. And so you feel like this, like, I don't know, like this mole child. There's, I don't know. And then I feel weird. But in the time of feeling weird. Exactly. And they like, and, and then to like add on the fact that you're black, you know, like in, in it, it's like, and then don't hear, and then gender nonconforming. It's just like, it, like, y'all, like, it is, oh, it's, it's, so the closest thing I've had to relate to it has been the incredible Kimmy Schmidt. We see this. Oh, first of all, can we talk about, is his name Titus? Titus, Titus Andromeda. I honestly, that first season, I mean, uh, yes, you're right. I love that show. And the way she even captures that she doesn't want to be known as a mole woman. Like, she doesn't want that to be her whole identity. But then the way she struggles to learn how to relate to people after being in such a peculiar social environment for so long. That's a great show. Like, the last season was not great, but a lot of it just hysterical awesomeness. Yes. And it's so, it's relatable because I do feel like when connecting with people, like a child sometimes, like which he had like these quirky things that no one says anymore. That is so me. <laughs> like this is really relatable. However, it's white. It's like a very right. white freaking show. Even the fact that like she had this like gay black best friend and like we'll just, give him a couple of points though because he has a full storyline which yeah. is a big difference from what we're used to seeing like we were talking about this before the call that everyone has been socialized in the west who's watched movies to think of the black character as a sidekick they don't have their own story and when you disappear they're not doing anything they're just waiting to drop more truth bombs on you and help you live your best white life, right? Um, the same way you don't think your dog is, you know, going to work when you leave and living this full life, you think that Black folks are just sitting around waiting to see how they can enhance your storyline. That's really how we've all been socialized. So you're, I can understand why your friend said, oh, you look like you have this real desire to have that connection and romance with a white male well we were like trained to want that who wouldn't want to be connected to the gorgeous male lead because think about the Bechdel test and like all the white women who didn't get any lines that weren't directly related to a male cast member once again that belief that the woman can't be a catalyst for the plot all she can do is slow it down and she is a sidekick, she's like a fixture. She's not a real person. She doesn't have any goals or anything or anything cool to contribute. She just is going to scream like, oh, Andy, or something else ridiculous and slow down the plot. But who wouldn't want to at least be able to be there in every scene and to not be murdered 30 minutes in, you know? Of course, this is how we've been trained as a part of the brainwashing in addition to the cult brainwashing, like the social invasion. <laughs> from Western yeah. North American like culture. It's like we've all been trained to believe we have very few options about what we can be if you are dark-skinned and assigned female at birth. Mm -hmm. When did you even realize that you had the option of 
using the pronouns that are right for you and that you could be assigned female at birth and that isn't the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So I came into that realization more when a friend of mine was actually coming into their truth more and having the opportunity to reframe my relationship to that person and how I, you know, talked about that person and how I related to that person really was challenging and humbling because it does exactly what the cult tells you not to do. And that is think, think outside of what you are taught. And, and I will say this, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like we are told that like we should do research but we have all of these books. Like my mom had a whole entertainment system build of books that were created by, I don't know, Bethel. I can't even remember the language anymore. The, like you could Bible and Tract Society, maybe like the yeah. Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Something like that, yeah. So like all the research you did within the, what they gave you to do the research, right? Yeah, exactly. They obtained the resources. And I do want to know, I think this is a good time to mention it, that the only unforgivable sin is speaking out against the coal. We are spinning up the plate. Sitting against the Holy Spirit. The only thing you can't do. You can have, you, you can violate people. You can rob people. You can push an old lady into traffic. All of that should be forgiven. You can rape children. That can be forgiven. But don't speak out against the cult. Then you're an apostate. And you can't come back from that, even though I've heard that some people have. But then I think they had to like publicly retract a lot of stuff they said. But oh my gosh. <laughs> just a side note. So you've got, they say do research, but you can only use their approved resources. Okay. And then be cautious of the apostates because they're out there and they're trying to get you. Right. Right. Exactly. And any type of reprimanding system is created by the religion. So like, say you did violate another person, you need to go within the religion to solve that. Now, my sister told me that they have been changing that up now that you can go outside of, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses to do that. However, I'm pretty sure that the like, final decision will be made between you and a group of elders. And usually that means that the elders are the ones making Just the awkwardness. First of all, I just want to celebrate that you were with it enough at 13 years old to say, this is not the tradition for me and I'm not going to participate. That is massive. And anybody who's listening who's been told that they're too young to know what's right for them, Question that, question that. You have so much wisdom inside of you and you're constantly been told, being told not to believe in yourself. And I think it's so dangerous across the board and affects you in all areas of life when you're always told you have to look outside of yourself for the answers. Your savior is outside of yourself. The person who's gonna get you to where you need to be and show you the next step is not you. It's so detrimental. And I really feel like in my life, things haven't started to make sense until I started working through all of my blocks against just believing my own internal wisdom. 
Mm-hmm. The tribunal situation, the depth of the brainwashing. It sounds ridiculous from an outside perspective, but you have to understand that for a lot of people who were raised in it, if you told something since birth, how are you going to know where the truth begins and where the lies start? How do you know the difference? It's a whole practice, learning to trust yourself, learning to use critical thinking skills. And if you're in a tradition that tells you don't ever do any of those things because they'll lead you down a sinful path, of course, in hindsight, it's like some of the things that I did and said, I'm just like, wow, that was some effective brainwashing. (laughs) Because you can leave, of course you can leave the church at any time if you can understand that you can leave the church at any time. But do you, do you understand that? Props to my little brother because he knew when he wanted to leave and he started establishing a social network outside of the church, real low key, like I didn't even notice. And so when he was disfellowshipped or excommunicated, he had friends to go to dinner with. He had people to call and hang out like if he had a flat tire. I went from always knowing that I had a support system to having zero people to back me up and help me. My parents actually went through a little process to get permission to allow me to stay in their home while I was unemployed and excommunicated at like 22 or something. But imagine if they had said no, I literally would have been homeless. Mm. And it's complicated because you want, don't want to criticize the people who gave you life. And you also don't want to judge people based on your understanding, your lived experience. But it's so, so hard. So there's some ways where I see how they've done so much more than other people to try and be as loving as possible. And they're doing the best they can with what they know. But then I also get like very upset when I think about the fact that I can't have a full relationship with them and be myself at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that there is an organization in between me and my family. And that organization can tell them when to not talk to me anymore and they will comply. Yes. Oh, that hit so hard. Tired of being at odds with your body, sick of diets, and weight cycling that make you feel like trash? Would you like to finally make peace with food so that you can focus on what your actual purpose in life is? What would your life look like if you trusted your intuition and let your true desires guide your actions? This episode is brought to you by the Mastering Intuitive Eating and Self-Trust Total Transformation Package. This is the program for you if you're ready to heal your relationship with food once and for all. This isn't another generic bod pause coaching program. This program is centered on liberation. Together, we'll free you from chronic dieting, poor self-image, and self-doubt. Nutrition is a tool that we use to reconnect to your inner wisdom and your sense of self-worth. This three-month coaching program will give you the sustainable results you've been looking for. By the end of our time together, you'll have a firm grasp on intuitive eating. You'll be at peace with your body and aligned with your purpose and your true desires. If that sounds good to you, just visit daliakinsey.com slash coaching. That is so true because 
these are the people that love you and they are loving you to the best of their ability, but that ability is limited by a framework that was set by this church. Hmm. In that framework, like it tells them that they love you. And so that's why they're doing this. Yes. Because they want you to be with them in paradise. And so they're going to continue to not fully see you mm. in the hopes that you will come back. Yeah. And it's so, I don't know, the words are like, it feels suffocating. Like you're trying to connect with these people who raised you, who put you to bed tonight at night, who like saying like, did you go, oh, like we thank you, Jehovah. My mom would sing that to me like, it's so, so crazy, all the detail and how you feel like you were raised in like this little bubble with them because you limited your contact with outside people. And that, in my experience anyway, also included limiting your contact with family that wasn't in the church. So I have a lot of cousins, I have a lot of family that I don't know because they weren't in the church either at the same time. This is a real kicker, you know, so I leave and then some of them converted. I'm like, this would have been, I finally could have come hang out with you and now you run off and convert. So it's like, I'm never going to have that relationship. It really has broken the family into pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really tough because you were, of course, your parents try and love you the best that they can. But then also when they're like the only people you have for so, so long, because other kids had play dates uh, until I was probably 10 or 11. I never really asked to go do anything without my parents. Like I always wanted to do stuff with my parents. You know, as you enter your teenage years, you usually are suddenly you're ready to be more social. and You want that distance. But we were just so close and you felt like they were the only people in the world that really understood you. And then to find out that the people that you thought loved you unconditionally have conditions, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. But I feel like the comfort that you feel when you understand you will not break if you don't get love from all the places that you want it. And that you can respect people and allow them to live life the way they want. And you can take permission or give yourself permission to live life the way it feels right to you. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. I remember that coming up in therapy that, oh, well, it sounds like you need to set and reinforce that boundary. And that was one thing. I know my therapist had a lot of training around working with people of color, but that doesn't make you someone who's had that lived experience of like the rules about respecting your elders that are also cultural things because you don't completely leave your culture at the door. Just the concept of telling your mother, we can't talk because of this problematic behavior you can't seem to stop. Mm-hmm. Or remember, mom, I told you so-and-so. I feel like I'm going to die when I <laughs> try and set a boundary with my mother. Yeah. It is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And to the point where our family, we've been pretty good communicators growing up. They're very open. I will give my mom credit that she was on high alert for child molesters. And so very young told us like, I need for you to get independent with wiping yourself. And 
from this point forward, like only you maintain this part of your body. And no matter what anybody tells you and no matter how it's framed, if anybody touches you here, you report it to me immediately. And when it happens, also let them know you're going to tell like immediately and that you know that they're lying and they're trying to trick you into being silent. She did a lot of training on like molestation prevention. Yeah, it also makes me sad to know that she was aware that predators are everywhere, but they still believe, exactly, but still believe that, oh, well, they're like, you know, rocks there under the surface meant to stumble people, but it isn't an indication that maybe this belief system allows people Mm -hmm. to be this way and not think that there's a problem. Right. And I don't know, I can't say specifically how the system is set up to protect pedophiles, but it is. Like, if you look at the statistics, and these are just the reported cases, there are so many that weren't reported. There are high rates of child molestation in this cult. High rates. There's also the rule that you cannot, like, if you are physically or emotionally harmed by your partner, you can't leave that partnership. You have to stay with them unless someone has, in like, cheats on you. Right. So I know so you people... Can, you could divorce them, but you cannot remarry because technically your marriage can't really be dissolved unless there's adultery. Right, exactly. So I know of people who have like committed adultery in order to get out of situations like that. That's amazing. When you're fully indoctrinated, what you will do to get permission to do something. Because obviously you could just leave. You could just not be in the cult anymore. Who even said you had to officially get a divorce? I know people who have not seen their spouse on paper for decades and they don't worry about it because they believe that it didn't matter whether or not it was officially over. They were done. Yeah. But if you don't believe that, you literally can't do anything. I went through the process of being disfellowshipped, which essentially is sitting in a room with three men, usually older men, explaining to them how you have been sexually deviant. How cringy and disgusting is that? But I didn't know at the time that I could just not go anymore. I thought I needed to go through the official steps to be kicked out so that I wouldn't have to go anymore. Mm -hmm. That's some effective brainwashing, again. And how they keep you is is the desire for community, the desire for family. A lot of people come in because they want community. They want love. And this idea of like this perfect world someday where like, you know, the lion and the lamb will like lie together and no one will be hurt and you'll live forever and you'll be with your loved ones in celebration every day. Like sounds really kush. And like, because no one talks about things in the religion, like it, feels there's this illusion of peace. Exactly. And it's not the case at all. It's so the cost for that peace in a lot of cases is everyone who's being treated poorly cannot say anything about it. 
Right. So you can say hurtful, sexist things. You can make nasty, like I can think about times when people have said things about maybe somebody being complicit in their sexual assault. Well, if I talk about how problematic that is and how deeply offensive that is and make an issue, then I am wrong because I disturb the peace in the card group by taking an issue with what someone said. If I say I am disturbed by the fact that a six-year-old male child has authority over women in their 80s and their 90s because they've been baptized, because this kid was born with a penis, if I have an issue with that, I am the problem Mm -hmm. because I'm making waves. I've been counseled for not cultivating my quiet and mild spirit, Mm -hmm. for wearing things that were too androgynous. Like there's so many things I feel like I'm just now realizing this is how I've always been, but I was told I couldn't be that way. Mm-hmm. And so getting older and being out, it's like revisiting, remembering who you were as a child. And it's been interesting to hear how many people go through that process who didn't have the experience of being raised at fault. But that it's very common to recover what you lost through socialization as you age. Mm-hmm. If you're working on growing. Mm-hmm. And learning that who you thought you were as a kid is who you've always been. And people told you you were mistaken. And I didn't have the language for it. Even now, I'm always, I find myself still looking for a set standard to figure out who I am is correct. Because I do fluctuate between she, her, and they, them. But I really and truly know that's who I am. I'm gender fluid. And unfortunately, the numbers aren't that high for gender fluid people. So I don't get a lot of people modeling that for me. But just that need to have someone tell me that how you are is okay. It's really, really been an uphill battle getting to that point of believing that you're okay. And we've been robbed. When you say that, that's so sad. It almost makes me want to cry that people were just looking for community. So marginalized people are the most vulnerable to groups like that. Right. And right. they convert a ton of people who are coping with systemic oppression. Mm-hmm. And the sale is that, oh, there's going to be a time when it won't hurt to live. Yeah. Your pain will be, be gone. Painful. Yeah. And it's, it's no, go ahead. Go ahead. It's just a mess. It's, it's scary. It's angering. And it also feels very, I'm, I'm so happy I made it out. And I'm also who I am because a lot of people who, who, who escape, it's escaping. A lot of people who escape because we don't have support outside of it and we feel that the entire world is dangerous, like they teach you that like, if you step out of the church, you will have no one and the world is dangerous. And they're going to eat they, you up. They're going to tear and, you up. And it's going to be. A- and, yeah. And they do get eaten up. They like, there's a lot of people who were dealing with a lot of mental health challenges and if they don't know where to find the right supports or don't get to the supports they need, they either go back 
or they're very unhappy. Because you're not given any of the tools that you need to be ready to live an independent life. No. So if you're a person of color and, you know, you or the generation before you was pulled into this because you're looking for community, you're looking to think, oh, will there be a time when people don't treat me in a hateful way because of the color of my skin? Mm-hmm. So you're already vulnerable. You didn't get to accumulate generational wealth because people have been stealing it from you for 400 plus years. And this cult is run by people who are descendants of colonizers who got to accumulate wealth. So by and large, they're doing fine. People who are at a point where they still need to be working on breaking the poverty cycle are told that you shouldn't go to college because, again, critical thinking skills compromises people's loyalty to the group. Then you're also told you need to be volunteering like a lot of hours. That also is time that you could be spending, you know, working on breaking the cycle of poverty. So when you suddenly don't have that support system, you also don't have any of the tools that you need to run a life that's headed in a different direction. Right, right. So it's no wonder that people crumble and and go back. I mean, it is hard if you are a person who has limited financial resources, you cannot exist outside of community. Mm-hmm. People always help each other. Mm-hmm. But then what do you do when you're still kind of living at that poverty level, which it used to be fine because you were volunteering a lot and, you know, working part-time was great because it let you spend all this time working for free for the church. When you suddenly don't have anyone to help you, if your car breaks down, if, so people do, they go crawling back because they have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking to me to think that just how abusive that relationship is. Yes, it's so abusive. And so it's hard to, although I hold my family accountable for the things that they've said to me, the ways in which they've treated me, I also understand, and I think that that's different. Like, you know, holding someone accountable and also understanding them. Because it does, it it completely engulfs your life and defines who you are. Mm. And so when you don't have that, when you no longer have that praise for being, you know, an auxiliary pioneer, when you, like, even if you do continue your education, It's meant to be, yes, gain all the resources that you can from the world and come back to us and use it so you can then go to Bethel, which is like prize. Like if you're in Bethel, all of you go volunteer 24-7. Yeah. Walk familiar to basically completely uproot. You live on site and there are a lot of people there. They don't take just anybody. They take people who have skills that they need as an organization. So if you're a lawyer, maybe they would allow you to come volunteer with them for however long. Um, at electricians, plumbers, like they used to let people know what they were looking for and they never wanted to take women. Mm-hmm. And so you would have to be exactly what they were looking for as far as your secular skill for them to accept you. And they started something recently where they basically are kind of rolling people through there, not taking them like for 30 years at a time and people retiring out from there and everything. But it's interesting. It keeps 
it keeps growing and changing. And since I haven't been connected to it for like 10 years, there's some updates that I am fuzzy on, but the basics remain the same. They're just getting, they're adapting to economic changes, the expense of owning all that property in New York. You know, they're still absolutely using people for free labor for years at a time, which is less egregious if you come from a family of means. But if you're taking free labor from people of color, you are compromising their ability to liberate the next generation from the cycle of poverty and limiting the options that they have to go do something else. Mm -hmm. And so they are trapped there slash enslaved there. And speaking of liberation, so when I was in college, one of my sisters, who now is actually the only one who like says, okay, when I tell her like, these are my pronouns um, and I have changed my name. She asked me like what I wanted to do after college. And I was like, well, I would, now I don't agree with this, but like, I really would like to go work for a nonprofit. And she's like, well, then you're working for the devil. What? Yes. That is so extreme. I did not expect it to end like that. <laughs> Here is why. Here is why. Because to put your skills toward anything outside of the religion, when you know that God is going to wipe this world clean someday and bring peace, anything to do with like working for the here and now outside of being a Jehovah's Witness was working for the devil. Yeah, I was the reasoning. Yeah. Well, isn't it weird to you too? How did you feel that compulsion? Like you wanted to volunteer, you still had that compulsion for community and that sense of unity. Uh Was was that tricky too? Like, did you realize the nonprofit thing was not your way and that you could actually find a way to be of service and build community on your own? Like you have to find another organization to become part of. Right. And that has been really hard. Like I've had to be really aware and you brought this up too earlier of what I am attracted to and like, why am I drawn in? Like what, what is about this like charismatic person or this organization that is really attracting me? And then am I asking questions to know if they truly are for what they say they're for? And are they living into that? And that's been hard. Crucial. How have you started to navigate that? How, because this is an established fact. People that have been in a cult before, whether or not it was your idea, mind you, we were in there very young. Okay, it's not our idea. We didn't go sign up for this. That we're vulnerable to other charismatic leaders and we're vulnerable to other like culty things. How have you learned to gauge whether or not a relationship is going to be healthy. And by relationship, I mean with somebody who wants to do a collab with you and the work that you do with an organization, with a partner. How how do you tell? Mm-hmm. Well, first, I have always been rather rebellious. <laughs> Since from a very young age, I've questioned a lot. However, I also through honestly, a lot of sad interactions and harm and learning and processing with people who actually had my back, what mm-hmm. happened. And again, it's, it's 
the support system. You need people around you who are going to mirror to you when things are not okay, who are going to feel safe and like, and, and truly tell you like what happened to you was not okay. Here's why. You need that. You really do. And for me now, it looks like unapologetically asking questions. Like, I don't need to explain to you why I'm asking you this question. Like, and, and unapologetically setting boundaries, especially with people who you know that systemically and like in our society, in this Western society, have an upper hand because mm-hmm. the, the, the entire structure was made for them. And I've also been brainwashed to think that we are here to be their sidekick. We are here right. to be the magical Negro. We're here to advance their storyline. Mm-hmm. Whether that's on a conscious level, we all got that training. We all got that messaging. So when somebody is in that position where they think, oh, everything's made for me and people want to support me and never mind how this is going to help, you know, the plans that God has had for their business or their organization. Like I need for goddess to do this for me. And brown people love being magical. So let me get some of that magic. Because mm-hmm. it affirms like I'm finally worthy. I've, I'm finally like loved, you know, I'm finally accepted. And we all need that. Like we all need affirmations of our, our value, even though it's not, it's not needed. You are valuable, period. You don't even have to place a value on yourself. You know what I mean? But we do need mirrored back to us the love and and then the positive thoughts that we have for ourselves. I saw you posted something on Facebook with a book on, I want to say belonging is part of the theme. So what was that work about? And and what are you kind of doing to help other people understand this? Because I think this is a crucial part of health and wellness is having that sense. So tell us more about that. Are you talking about the book by Mia Songbird? Yes. Okay. So I actually just ordered it finally. I was like, I'm splurging getting all the books that I fit like wanting to read. But there's a really good podcast episode by her and Prentice Hemphill. And I'll send it your way along this idea of belonging. They are both Black. And they were talking about the idea and the practice of like learning how to ask for help, mm-hmm. which we have has been inculcated in black in black bodies that that's not a good thing to do. Like you always have to be providing for yourself because no one else can. Like no one else, right. no one else will. Mm-hmm. And you also need to appear strong so that no one can come in and destroy you. Absolutely. I feel that. Like that's, that's, yeah, it's like the song that is a backdrop of your whole life. In order to be strong, in order to be safe, don't ask for anything. Don't be an imposition. Mm-hmm. Be small, be invisible, be self-sufficient. Right. Exactly. So what Sunseed community is doing is we're imagining what it is like to exist in community with other people 
who are thinking outside of what we have been told are the structures and the only structures. So what does it mean to co-create something to share with other BIPOC people that was only co-created by BIPOC people? What are the ideas that come out of that? And then also when anti-Blackness, when whiteness shows up, how is it, how is it held? And how do we like, you know, like release that? How do we release it? It hits so different being in community with other queer BIPOC people, queer trans and intersex BIPOC people, than when I am doing the same work with white people who also have queer trans intersex identities. It's so interesting. And I've been trying to figure out for a while, maybe for like ridiculous, I feel like everything's been a 10 year project for me. But I've only really been making headway recently with the help of a a coach who is a queer um, Black femme who has decided that they only want to work with people of color. And as they went through their progress or their process of understanding, not only is that possible, there are a lot of people who need this service because we're so used to people not making anything for us. Everything's get in where you fit in, get your crumbs, you know find a way to figure out how this applies to your individual experience. There's something so healing about something being made specifically for you with you in mind. Because when I think about the things that I would tell another like young queer person of color, if they're trying to figure out how to navigate body image and how to deal with, how do I feed myself in a world that consistently threatens my safety and my sense of belonging? It is very different. There's some things that are universal, but it is this lived experience that we share that affects how we heal each other. And I just don't, at this point in my life, feel that people who don't have that similar experience of battling systemic oppression and making some headway. Like, I'm not including all BIPOC folks who don't know they're BIPOC, you know, or who have just to lean into that identity, but people who have started to do that work, the, it's like a healing bomb when they start to explain their process. And I think it's also a very indigenous or decolonized thing to know that the healer is not an expert. The healer is a guide and they walk alongside you. Mm-hmm. They don't get on the mountaintop and tell you what to do and they're not flawless and they're not a descendant of spirit in a way that's different from you, you know, or maybe we're all connected, but they're not like the only divine one getting these special messages. They are not meant to be the thing that connects you to your higher self or to spirit. We're all connected. They're just telling you about your own connection. And even that concept that I don't have to wait until I know everything to start helping people is a real departure from what we're typically told by Western dominant culture. You need to be flawless. You need to know everything. You got to be ready to prove everything. That is so exhausting. That for me has been one of the biggest indicators to me that that isn't my target audience. I I don't want to have to keep proving to you that minority stress is to blame for a lot of poor health outcomes that we see. And that is it for something for us as individuals to take responsibility for. We did not do that. We need to learn 
what healing practices mitigate that damage. Whereas when I find people in other wellness spaces that, you know, are for everybody and everybody really needs white people, it's white centered. When you say, oh, it's for everybody, that is dangerous. I mean, it's for white people that they're dangerous. dangerous. Yeah. And people of color do this all the time because we're afraid to lose that proximity to whiteness because through lived experience, we've been shown that that's a dangerous position to be in or it's an uncomfortable position or it feels uncertain. And people have not modeled that you can make something that serves the people who need it the most, Mm -hmm. make it just for them and it'll actually be fine. And I even, it's so funny when I did a healing project earlier this year, it was called the Black Joy Summit. I got, <laughs> I got really positive feedback from the Black people who needed that healing. But then I also got a ton of white folks asking, like, is it okay if I come? And funny, the realization was from white people who I'm like, what is up with, what's up with this? Because I've been so concerned that if I center things on Black people, well, it's like, will I know how to find the Black people Will it be enough people, blah, 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 blah. And this white person's explanation was, I've always been told that everything is for me. So even if something says, hey, this is for like, I don't know, Afro-Caribbean people with one eye, I still think, oh, well, I can probably go too. So she said, it's funny that anyone's, because she's seen people say this to me. She said, it's funny that anyone ever tells you, oh, if you don't make this all about white people, no one will come. She's like, we go everywhere. So what you actually will have to do is go out of your way to tell us not to come. <laughs> yeah, I don't want it to come. Yeah. But that's the opposite of the fear that I had. It's like, I can't make healing tools specifically for my community because I'll get in trouble or I'll be demonized for embracing my identities that the dominant culture has established as valuable. That something bad will happen to me. Now, I I did rebrand that to be more BIPOC inclusive just because of the extreme amounts of homophobia I come across when I try to do things that are like Black American centered. But that's like a whole nother can of worms. Ah, (laughs) come through with that one. So I'm trying to see it for sure. For sure. Oh, there's just so many things to unpack here. You definitely have to come back on. Is there a practice that you can share? with people who still don't feel that in their bones, who don't know that they don't need to prove their value and they don't Mm-mm. need that proximity to what we have been trained as valuable. I can think of a couple of different things. So one thing in my toolkit I find is writing And when I mean writing, I mean you writing down all of the things that you're afraid to say to yourself. Write them down and really look at them and ask yourself why you were afraid to say them, why you're afraid to believe them, and if they're truly you. And another one, as you're going through the process of of liberation is finding ways to get into your body. That's part of it too, is like finding something that you enjoy doing that connects you with your body where you're feeling 
pleasure from it or pain and not in a way of like, I guess sadistic with it, but so that you can notice how your body reacts in different environments because your body is a wonderful gauge of what you need. So get into your body and however that looks. I really love hot yoga, the sweat and everything, like something about it just really gets me into my body. Um, I also really love um, cooking and dancing in the kitchen. That gets me into my body and helps me work on the ways in which I like am ashamed of, you know, different parts of my body and working on my fat phobia. And another thing is really discerning the people in your life who will be your mirrors. Hmm. And talk to them about what your process is. Because the people that have seen you change and can hold you in that and listen are the people who deserve to hear your truth and will give you the right feedback. Those are the people. And those three things, I think, are what have helped me to get to, I don't even, it's not linear, but have, are holding me right now. Yeah. They, they help me escape that abusive cult. They help me escape abusive relationships. Those, the, the, those are so key. So key. I think community is so underutilized as a healing tool. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of times, and I've experienced this everywhere, at work, at school, like on the street, when people see a group of people of color together, a lot of times either there is like verbal assault or um, people actually physically discouraging you from getting together. Mm. So a lot of us may have fear around like, is it dangerous for me to spend time with other people in my community? But that is what the internet is for. And you can find safe spaces where you can figure out a way. Like there's always a way. Mm -hmm. You can find a way in the face of adversity when there's no permission. You know, even in countries where people are at risk of legal repercussions for living out their orientation or living out their gender identity. People always find a way. This is how the human spirit works. Mm -hmm. And so even if you perceive that there are challenges, I promise you there's always a way. It may not be as easy as we want it to be. There may still be risk involved. And you may not be able to live out your connection to community and to live out your true identities in one country the way somebody can in another country, but you always can. There is room to do it. And the biggest barrier is knowing that it can be done, knowing that it's true. Yeah. And then figuring out how can I do it Mm -hmm. with the circumstances that I am in. Yeah. And that's where the first two resources are so important, that writing and the 
whatever way in which you can reflect back to yourself, your own being is so important. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Where do we find the Sunseed community? How do we connect with you? Yes, please link up with us on IG or Facebook. We are Sunseed Community or just come visit our website, sunseedcommunity.com. We do a lot of workshops. And so like, come find us. Like we are one of those places where it's brave space to be who you are. And you're doing a lot of amazing things too. With like, you know, the Black Joy, like I just, there, there, there are places. Exactly. I saw the Cutie BIPOC and that's Cutie, like C-U-T-I-E. Yeah. Uh, BIPOC conference that was online this year. And mm-hmm. it's a, exactly what it sounds like, like a queer people of color conference that usually happens in person in Europe. I wanted, I think that's right. <laughs> I've never been. I only found it because they were online this year because of COVID. And it's just been, well, Americans know this. We are very much self-absorbed. So sometimes we forget <laughs> that there are other people. Like having these modern lives, having these modern problems as queer people, as people of color and other countries that in a lot of ways, they have a, a lot in common with us. I think sometimes we just forget that we're not the only people on the planet. I definitely try not to, but it definitely felt like in all the volunteer meetings that I was the one who was most ignorant about everyone else's country. I blame America for that. I am working on it. And that's coming from someone who's half an immigrant kid, still just obsessed with just here. So you can connect with people all over the world who want to support you, who identify with your experience. So even if in your little town, if you're stuck in Iowa, if you're stuck in South Georgia, you may think there's nobody out there, but they're they're all over the place just waiting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. QT Black Black Fest. Mystic Soul is another one. Black Healing October with Reclaim oh, Ugly. Yeah, that like, was through. Oh, I highly, highly, highly recommend that. I'll put that in the show notes. The, just the inclusivity and the accessibility from, you know, remembering that not everybody can hear, not everybody can see, not everybody's able-bodied. And we all still need community. And you may be a loving person and you definitely don't want somebody out there who is blind not to be able to connect to your community. But have you thought about that? Have you done the work with the accessibility? I mean, I learned so much about accessibility. I've got a long ways to go. I was like, what do you mean? Describe my photo. Like, I'm like, I don't even know. I didn't describe your photo enough. Yeah, I I learned a lot. But the way that they modeled it, it wasn't like, oh, shame on you for not knowing. Like, Mm -hmm. not everybody can see. And some people are hard of hearing. Like, get it together. Just really doing the work and teaching us all through example that we can make all of our resources more accessible. But then also learning that it also requires resources. Doing the yeah. best you can when you can't right. They even had interpreters at every single session. No, assigned ASL interpreters, and it was an ASL interpreter agency for people of color. Just 
mind-boggling. They're always doing great things in California. Once again, that's California trying to show us the way. Uh, <laughs> but everybody, look Goddess up, look Sun Seed community up. You're going to be hearing from them in the future because I feel like they're, there's, I feel a workshop here. I feel a workshop. Yeah. How crazy would it be if we, like, this is so niche. This is niche, niche, niche. It may just be you and I there. What if we did a workshop that was for queer people of color that escaped the cult? Yes. I was just thinking, I was like, can we have some type of like regular like get together? Like, I kid you not, I really do want to rewatch some of the movies we grew up with. Mm. And like, just like with other people who are like, okay, that's fucked up. That's oh my goodness. Up. Honestly, as an activity, how incredible would that be? And the technology is yeah. here now. Yeah. Well, they, they, they used to have little like kid dramas essentially on how if you go out into the world, your life will immediately go to shit. Like immediately. Yes. That one, oh, that, oh, never mind. Let me, Dinah, the one with Dinah. Yes, like, yeah, Dinah, yeah. my head. Once again with the consent. Once again with the consent. So the story is like, oh, you want to go out and express your sexuality because you're a human? Okay. You want to have friends? What? Yeah. Oh, oh, here comes the date rape. Here it comes. Yep. And, and um, way to cast. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. We need to do that. Everybody reach out to us and let us know if that's something you need. Do you know a queer person of color who used to be a Jehovah's Witness? And we'll take the Mormons too, honestly, because they have had a very similar experience. I used to go I'm to sure. a support group and it was, at first it was just ex-witnesses and then the Mormon kids came in and we were like, holy shit, we had no clue. We had so much in common because we were also convinced our cult was so special. Um, yes. So And not a cult. Yeah, that's like the biggest thing. <laughs> You know what? I think I'll put it in the show notes, the definition of cult, because it's you can't deny it when you look at the definition and the controlling. And just really all you need to know is that the only unforgivable sin is that you speak out against it. Hello, like warning, warning, that's a problem. How in the world could that be the only unforgivable sin? How we did not see that one, I don't know. But again, effective brainwashing. If you if you need to do some brainwashing, like go take notes. You know, they're very good at it. Um, everybody, we will see you next time. We hope to hear from you with all your cries for like how badly you want that workshop. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Goddess is such a joy to talk to. Be sure to check out the show notes so that you can connect to their work with the Sunseed community. They're really out here doing amazing things. I cringed a little bit when I listened back to the portion of the interview where I misgendered myself. I've been going through all kinds of hoops trying to get the people around me to stop using any pronouns to refer to me. But because that is a little peculiar for native English speakers, People have trouble saying my name so many times in a conversation. And it feels like you have to know at the beginning of the sentence that you're trying to not use the pronoun for it to come out in a way that flows. And just so much of this tension around, do I want to do the emotional work to tell someone once again, I don't use any pronouns at all and explaining that. I even had a really awkward exchange with someone who took it as 
hostile to the LGBTQIA plus community, not understanding that I am not the only one out there who doesn't use any pronouns at all. I tried on they, them. It didn't feel right. I've known for years that gender fluid feels like a label that applies to me, but I spent a lot of time in the gray and feeling completely neutral. Not so neutral that I would say a gender feels correct, but none of the pronouns felt good. I feel comfortable with people just calling me by my name. And while that sounds simple, in practice, it doesn't feel intuitive for a lot of people. And even sometimes for me, it doesn't feel intuitive. So that was just interesting to hear myself do because in real time, I didn't hear it. So everything is a process. In other news, I have an exciting announcement. Decolonizing Wellness is now available for pre-order. My book is a QT BIPOC-centered guide to escape the diet trap, heal your self-image, and achieve body liberation. There are a lot of BODPAS books, but there's nothing like this out there. This is specifically for us and anyone who is struggling with self-acceptance because of how they've been socialized will find this book helpful, but particularly queer folks who are having a time finding themselves reflected back to them in wellness in general. It's all about defining wellness on your own terms and really looking at how your relationship to your body, your choices, your intuition, all affects your sense of well-being. White supremacy culture, heterosexism, cissexism really does a number on your psychological well-being. And if we want to be well in a holistic way, we need to address the damage that that has done to our ability to thrive. The great news is there's a remedy and it's intuitive and it will make you feel great. This book is not at all about making us wrong for what we've done to get by up until now. It's all about moving into the next phase of our healing so that we can enjoy life to the fullest extent possible. So the link is in the show notes. Be sure to go ahead and put in your order. Now, if you email me, proof of purchase, then I will make sure that you get access to a secret podcast feed that will come out when the book launches in February. The secret podcast is going to take a little bit of a deep dive into each chapter. So it's something that you'll want to use as a companion guide. I'm super excited about this and can't wait to hear what you think about it. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I will see you next time.